Bible um, or your app, you want to get it out to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. And I am continuing in the theme of the blood covenant. And it's been exciting. It's been, uh, people have been commenting to me about how it's just um, building them up and opening new vision of the Lord to them. And I'm excited with you because it's been doing that for me too, me as well. There's something like a wave riding on this word. And uh, I think we all know it. It's, it's been supernatural. And so this morning, part six is going to be Mount Zion and the blood covenant. Mount Zion and the blood covenant. In Genesis chapter 22, this is taken from um, on top of what would later be called Mount Zion, was called at this time Mount Moriah. And um, this, uh, this little sequence up on top of Mount Moriah that's happening is Abraham whom the Lord has been making this covenant with. And this is the event that actually causes Abraham to cross over into the covenant. When Abraham does what he's about to do in offering Isaac up on the altar, it releases the blood covenant in Abraham and releases it by faith into the earth. This was the actual sealing of that covenant. When God said he saw Abraham's action, um, how that he was willing to sacrifice his son, he said there's no need because it's not going to do any good. Your son's death isn't going to save him or anyone else, but I am going to furnish you with a son, and that son that I give you, he will take away the sins of all people, hallelujah, that come to him. And, of course, he's talking about Jesus Christ who carried our sins and so he refers to Jesus as the seed or the offspring of Abraham. So when Abraham, in obedience, is willing up to the last moment to sacrifice his son, the blood covenant has now, the ink has all been laid on it. All that is waiting now is for the blood of Jesus to come. Hallelujah. And so in this dramatic scene up on top of um, Mount Moriah, which is also Mount Zion, um, the Lord is speaking to Abraham and he's telling him, because you were willing to do this, great things are going to happen. I pulled this little excerpt out for 17 and 18 because it's the, it's, the, it's the focus of this message this morning. God is speaking. I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. Now here's, here's our part for this morning. And your seed, your descendant, speaking of Christ, and your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your seed shall all the nations of the world be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. I was in a conversation with somebody this week. We were talking about 
the last days and how we all felt we're surely in the last days. The world has just gone crazy. And, it, and if you read Bible prophecy, it's going to become more crazy. But we have, we have uh, crossed a strange boundary in recent years. And um, the only way today to understand the world, we look at the world and think, how can people be like that? How is the world so crazy? How are people not seeing? How are they not understanding? Well, the only way to understand the entire world and the history of the world is simply that after the fall of man, man lost his authority with God. And he became a conquered race under Satan's dominion. And that's the only thing that explains the world. If you don't understand that, if you don't accept that, you are just going to be in a futile effort pounding your mind against the news and events of the day, trying to make sense of it. It does, just does not make sense unless you understand man is the slave, not just to sin, but because of his sin, to Satan. And Satan is ruling the world with the authority that God gave to Adam. The devil did not come on the scene with his own authority and power. He talked man out of it. And so the power that we see today that goes in to destruction and defamation and lies and heartbreak and disease and all the momentum that just comes to naught generation after generation is the power and the authority given to man in the hands of the devil. But God, before this ever got out of hand, God had a solution and he had it from the very beginning. Um, and God's solution was that he chose to offer man a blood covenant that had the power to produce a new man, to remake man. And that new man, what he says to Abraham is, that new man will possess the gate of his enemies. Instead of being a prisoner, he will take captive the enemy. He will possess his gate the gate is the opening or the entrance of a territory. A gate doesn't just sit in the middle of nowhere. A gate is attached to walls that surround and mark out a territory. So your territory is your sphere of influence. Nations have boundaries. And families have boundaries. And individuals have boundaries. But there's gates on every boundary wall. And the Bible prophecy is that one day a man will come, produced by the blood covenant, the two coming together and making one, are going to make a new creation. And the thing that's going to be outstanding, among other things, about this man, this seed, this Jesus, is that he will possess the gate of his end. The devil won't get out unless I say he gets out. And nobody's going to enter in unless I say they enter in. Jesus is the door. He possesses the gate of the enemy. Somebody say praise the Lord. So as that man Jesus overcomes Satan and victoriously rises from the dead, he snatches up the gate keys, the keys to death, the keys to hell, the keys to the grave, and every other nasty thing that the enemy had had control of. Jesus snatches up those keys to every gate 
on his way up to glory when he rises from the dead. Can you just see it? Here comes Jesus. Hallelujah. And he's got those keys in his hand. Glory to God. And his triumphant blood begins a new race of people. Hallelujah. The blood of the covenant. The blood covenant blood is still alive and speaking today. So the blood covenant is God's plan essentially to retake the world. And he retakes the world by planting his kingdom in your soul and then working out from there. And in Ezekiel, we've been quoting this verse in Ezekiel, every one of these messages, I'm going to quote it again. Ezekiel 16 and, <clears throat> excuse me, 62 <coughs> says, I will establish my covenant with you, and then you will know that I am the Lord. If you will look into that verse and really meditate on it, God will speak powerful things to you out of that verse. I will establish my covenant with you, and then you will know that I am the Lord. So God doesn't come into the world that has fallen with a plan to set everything right and upend everything and do away with all of the um, results of man's sin. He doesn't come into the world by uh, kicking the gates down and just driving everything that's evil out of the earth. He doesn't come in and make a covenant with the world or with the earth or with the planet. But he makes a covenant with you. I will establish my covenant with you. Put your hand on your heart and say, God has established his covenant with me. You don't need to be looking out into the world to see the covenant. God didn't say, I'm going to establish my covenant with the trees. He didn't say, I'm going to establish my covenant with the winds or any of those other things. I'm going to plant my covenant in here. Before Jesus ascended up, he said, the kingdom of God is within. It's one of the reasons why they crucified him is they, when the Messiah came, many of them, like Nicodemus, really did know that he was the Messiah and they crucified him anyway because they did not want a Messiah who was going to plant his kingdom in the hearts of these common sinners who these leaders had kept under their feet for generations. Now these common people, who's going to be able to control them? He says he's going to put his kingdom inside of them. They're going to be equal to us. No, they wanted God to come and make his covenant in the earth so that he would kick the Romans out and he'd right all of society's wrongs and he would level the playing field and all of those other things. He would deal with, you know, people today all love, just love talking about, um, uh, what is that, what's that phrase? Privilege. There's every kind of privilege. And I love talking about the fact that, well, they've got more than I have, or they've got a better start than I had, or they've, they've got better help than I do. And so they were angry because God didn't come and level the playing field, and everybody would have the exact same privilege. Instead, he came to the heart. He came to the heart. I will establish my covenant with you. So you have to know it. You have to receive it. You have to have 
the engaging relationship with the Lord. But if you do, God said, then you will know that I am the Lord. So now I'll have people walking around who know the Lord, who know what God can do. And I'll tell you, I would rather have people walking in society who know the Lord than have the Lord come and do a reset to society and a do-over. Because that reset will last about as long until the sun goes down. There's no use in changing the world. The world just simply will revert back to whatever it is. There's an old, old saying, you can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. And so the world is not going to be saved. People are going to be saved. Hallelujah. God will take care of the world. God will take care of the planet. The world is what it is because of the people that live in it. The condition of the nations is what it is not because of some kind of uh, some sort of system or some laws or principles. It is the way it is because the people that live in it. You will know that I am the Lord when I establish my covenant with you. So God's covenant doesn't begin with the world. It begins with you. You knowing him as Lord and being firmly established in the blood covenant is how he possesses the gate of his enemies. When Jesus rose from the dead, took the keys of death, hell, and the grave, he took death, hell, and the grave, and all those things out of your life. Those keys, one of those keys had your name on it. All the things the devil has locked you up with had your name on it. Jesus snatched them out of Satan's hands. Why? Because he wants to give them to you. He wants to put the keys of your life, your destiny, back in your hand instead of death, hell, and the grave and circumstances running your life. He sets you free so that you can know the truth about the blood covenant. And knowing the truth, you will be set free. Hallelujah. And so knowing the Lord and being firmly established in the blood covenant is how Jesus possesses the gate of his enemies. Your fellowship in the blood covenant is Mount Zion. If you ever wondered what Mount Zion is, believers fellowshipping in the blood covenant is Mount Zion. Mount Zion and the blood covenants are topic this morning. I'd like to read out of Hebrews chapter 12, one of the greatest collections of sentences strung together in the entire Bible is between verse 22 and 24 in chapter 12 of Hebrews. The author says, to you and I, people who have been redeemed, worshiping, followers of Jesus Christ, people in whom God has sent His Spirit to live. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. Now, I don't know about you, but I got saved in Largo, Florida. I've, I've never been to Jerusalem. Uh, and frankly, I don't want to be where he's been. I want to be where he's going. Hallelujah. So the writer here says to all of us that we've come to Mount Zion. Did you know you came to Mount Zion? Did you know that you are 
standing on Mount Zion? Do you know that's where you are? That is the description of your standing in God in life. Whether you're in Largo, Clearwater, New York, or China, or Israel. Makes absolutely no difference. And you could be standing on Mount Zion in Jerusalem today. And if you're not saved, you're not standing on Mount Zion. You have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and an innumerable, <clears throat> an innumerable company of angels in festive gathering. And you have come to the assembly of the firstborn, that's Jesus, who are enrolled in heaven. Oh, bless God, you're enrolled in heaven. Um, and you've come to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits, the souls, of the righteous who have been made perfect, and you have come to Jesus. When you came to Mount Zion, you came to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. And you've come to the sprinkling of blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Let me say to you that Mount Zion is the home of the blood covenant. Mount Zion was the home of the blood covenant in the Old Testament, and Mount Zion today is the home of the blood covenant. It's where the blood covenant is parked. It's where it's settled. It is the foundation of the blood covenant. Essentially, Mount Zion is God's choice. When God chooses something, he's made a Mount Zion. When God says, in my own will, my own purposes, I choose you. Well, you're in Mount Zion. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. So, way back in ancient times, it was known as Mount Moriah. Abraham took his son up there and offered him up to the Lord. Later, God renamed it Mount Zion. And Zion was to refer to the place of God's throne upon the earth the place where God contacted us and, and had relationship with us. And David, when he, when he took the city and conquered the Jebusites and kicked them off the top of uh, Mount Moriah, he renamed it uh, Jerusalem. And so it was called Jerusalem. Mount Moriah, Mount Zion, Jerusalem. Did you know they're all the same? So when you read these phrases, Mount Zion, Mount Moriah, Jerusalem, we're talking about the same place. <clears throat> now, oddly enough, and I'd like to kind of take you through a little historic walk this morning, um, just because I think you need a little background appreciation for what Mount Moriah or what Mount Zion really is and what it means to God, because I think that will enhance your spiritual comprehension of what it means that we have come to Mount Zion. So let's look at the history a little bit this morning. Mount Moriah, Mount Zion, Jerusalem, first of all, is not located on any of the ancient major trade routes. If you Google and look up the ancient trade routes throughout the East and the Mideast and everything, Jerusalem or Mount Zion or Mount Moriah is off by itself. It's not at any crossroads. In other words, it's not a choice piece of real estate by any carnal <coughs> evaluation. <coughs> There's nothing geographically significant either about Mount Zion or about, about uh, Mount Moriah. Yet, Jerusalem 
Mount Zion, Mount Moriah, has been the most highly desired and hotly contested piece of real estate on earth for the past 6,000 years. Not only are men and nations, but spirit beings, Satan himself, is fighting over that hill, that, and it's actually a cluster of seven hills Jerusalem's built upon, but we call it Mount Zion or Mount Moriah. They, in the Old Testament, there was a plural, the mountains of Moriah, and the land of Moriah. Look at what has happened historically on that piece of real estate that we call Mount Zion. First of all, the first recorded that I could think of, and there might be something before this, but I think the, the first really major recorded significance is when it was called Salem. And guess who lived there? Guess who was the king of that mountain? A man named Melchizedek who the Bible said had no beginning or no end. Nobody knew where he came from. And when Abraham had slaughtered the wicked kings and was coming back from the victory God gave him, he met the king of Salem, Melchizedek, who the Bible says, and there was no covenant, there was nothing. So I don't know how he became the high priest of the Most High God, but he was known as the high priest of the Most High God before there were priests, without beginning, without end. So he's this mysterious character. And the Bible says that Abraham bowed and paid tithes to Melchizedek. Well, Melchizedek lived on top of Mount Zion. That was his home. That was his kingdom. Um, Abraham, I already said, actually enters the blood covenant on top of Mount Moriah, on top of Mount Zion. Later, David conquers the city and takes it, and at that time it's called Jerusalem, and David decides, before he takes the city, in his heart, he wants to build an altar. And God had sent a prophet to David and told him, erect an altar on top of that hill. So David's got to take it, he's got to drive the enemy off of it, and then he's got to sanctify it unto the Lord and build an altar on there. And that altar was the centerpiece of worship in Israel for 39 years, and it was called the Tabernacle of David. David just simply went and got the Ark of the Covenant, stuck it in his backyard, pitched a tent over it, went and got the Levites, and he said, now do your thing. We're going to work in shifts, but there's going to be nonstop praise. Seven days a week, Hallelujah, 365 days of the year for 38, 39 years. Called the Tabernacle of David. And the ark, which would kill anybody previously if you looked upon it, people are dancing around it, shouting and praising God. There's some sort of a strange release of grace during this golden era of worship in Israel on top of Mount Zion sits the Tabernacle of David, and they called it Jerusalem or the city of David. The next major event is that his son Solomon builds the temple right there on the same spot that Abraham offered Isaac up on. Same spot. Builds the temple and dedicates it to the Lord, and the anointing of God comes in, and the singers and musicians fall out, and the glory cloud fills the place. 
years later, our Lord Jesus was taken up to a hill that they called Calvary. That's right. It was Mount Zion. He was on Mount Moriah. He was taken to the same spot that Abraham took his son hundreds of years before. When God said, hold it, it's not necessary to slay him. I will provide you a son. God did fulfill the blood covenant. He provided that son at the same location that Abraham was willing to give his son. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Something about Mount Moriah. Something about Mount Zion. In the Old Testament, there's a verse that says, I have chosen Zion. What makes Zion so special, Mount Zion? What makes Mount Moriah, what makes the city of Jerusalem built on top of it so special? What, what literally takes it out of the hand of the realtors and sets it apart and makes it indescribably significant is the fact that God said, I choose it. In a world that is enslaved to circumstances and to the plans and purposes of mankind and the whims of people, God break, broke in with a blood covenant and said, I'm taking this. This is mine. And from that day forward, Satan himself and every demon under him has craved to own Mount Zion. To this day, hundreds and thousands of years, Zion has been encompassed with war, surrounded by war. There are whole people groups, the Palestinians, a whole, a whole religion seems to be based on, when it comes right down to it, nothing more than wiping out the Jews off of on top of Mount Zion. I can't really think of another significant or certainly not holy purpose for the existence of Islam than to take Mount Zion. They want it. And they're willing to kill and destroy everything in their path in order to have it. There are people today sworn to the destruction of Mount Zion. An insane, demonically inspired drive compels them. What is it about Mount Zion? It's the fact that God said, I choose him. I choose her. And there's nothing you can do about it. Whew, hallelujah. Jesus is coming back. Let me, tell, let me say it again. Jesus is going to return. Do you know where he's coming to? When he lands, do you know where the runway is? The eastern gate where the temple once stood, Mount Zion. His foot, the first piece of real estate, the foot of Jesus Christ is going to touch. It's going to be the eastern side of Mount Zion. Glory to God, church. Hallelujah. You may not understand it, but you can't change it. I'm so glad I serve a God today who cannot be talked out of anything. No committee, no nation, no armies amassed, no criticisms on the internet, no cabal uh, on, uh, um, uh, what's that? Uh, it's like Facebook, but uh, all the nuts are on it. Um, 
Twitter. Yeah, there you go. All the twi all the tweets, the Twitters, whatever. Twitter can erupt and ooze with the pus of hate. They could get millions of people around the world to all line up and say Israel should be destroyed. Mount Zion should be given back to the indigenous people, which is a lie. that it, It's in the hands of the indigenous people right now. <coughs> but God's not, you're not, you're not going to move God. Not one bit. Not one bit. People who try to fight against God's choice go crazy doing so. You want to lose your mind? Go up against God. You want to go crazy? You want to be certified? You want to be on medication? Decide to oppose God's choice. Good luck. You've just picked the worst fight that man could possibly pick. You cannot survive that competition. Jesus is going to return to Zion. Listen to what Psalm 48 says in the first three verses. How great is the Lord! How deserving of praise in the city of our God. Do you ever remember when we quote that? We used to sing it. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised in the city of our God. You'd sing that phrase not even knowing what you were saying, the significance of it. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised in the city of our God. He is greatly to be praised in Jerusalem. He's greatly to be praised on Mount Zion. You see, God picks a location to meet him, a house, a mountain, a place. He's not abstract. He's not Eastern mysticism. He's not humanism. You can't just go wander the hills or wander through life and just decide you're going to come up with a, a, your own covenant with God. God lays the terms of the blood covenant. And where he sets that covenant, if, if you're smart, you'll be there. God said to Moses, take the shoes off your feet. You're about to step onto holy ground. Millions of people are deceived and facing a bleak and dark eternity without God because they have stepped onto unholy ground and insist on calling it the ground of God. There's only one holy ground, and it is the blood covenant. And Zion was the place where that covenant rests. It is the place where that covenant is settled. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, which sits on his holy mountain. It is high and magnificent, and the whole earth rejoices to see it. Listen to this great prophetic proclamation. The whole earth rejoices to see it. Mount Zion, the holy mountain, is the city of the great king. God himself is in Jerusalem's towers, revealing himself as its defender. Now before you go empty out your uh, checking account to buy an expensive ticket to Jerusalem because you're now thinking, well, no wonder my prayers have only been partially entered. I need to go to Jerusalem where the Lord is living in the towers of Jerusalem and is defending the city. When Jesus rose from the dead, he ripped the veil in the temple from top to bottom. Hallelujah. Not to let the lost in, 
but to let him out. The veil of the temple was ripped so that the Lord would not have to be limited to a physical Mount Zion. He would now put Zion in your heart. Jesus is the new creation. And when he rose from the dead, he, mo he made Zion a mobile unit. Zion's got wheels, folks. Hallelujah. You can hook it to your car. Glory to God. It's a mobile mountain. Can you say amen? Mount Moriah, Jerusalem, Mount Zion, even though it was holy, it only had sacred holy power operating on it when the people of the covenant were obeying God on Mount Zion. The rest of the time, over the years that would go through different periods of time in history, when the people forgot God, there was no significant power in Jerusalem. It wasn't magic. You couldn't take your sick baby and take him up to Mount Zion and expect him to get healed. There was nothing there. What made the power, what made the glory, what was when Jesus showed up there. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? Was it magic? It was the blood covenant. Praise God. One of my favorite psalms, I'd like to share an excerpt, it talks about Zion, and it is amazing. Prepare yourself to hear this. Psalm 84, verse 5 through 7. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they pass through the valley of Baca, which means in Hebrew, the valley of weeping. As they pass through the valley of weeping, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one of them appears before God in Zion. So he begins by saying, those who know and worship the Lord. Who are they? They're the ones who know the, the children of the blood covenant. Those who know their covenant with God. You see, there are Christians barely hanging on today because they know nothing of the blood covenant. They're trusting their church to get them to heaven. And I'm not just talking about liturgical churches like Lutherans or Catholics or Episcopalians. Let me tell you what. There are millions and millions of Catholics that trust Jesus Christ as Lord. So, you know, you can say all you want about them worshiping Mary or, uh, you know, making saints sacred or any of those other things. But you're, I, I could point out all kind of nonsense in Pentecostal churches, fundamentalist churches, even the fundamentalist churches who think they've got absolutely nothing wrong with them. They're absolutely squeaky clean and perfect. They're not as airtight as they think either. Let me tell you what, the security is in Zion. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. So as we go through life, as we pass through life, those that worship the Lord, who know their strength, praise God, they know their strength is in the Lord, they know the blood covenant. Like I said, there's many today that their confidence is in their church or in some man, some preacher, um, who speaks to them. And I don't know what their disposition is. I think only, only God knows, only heaven knows if their name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But there are millions of Christians on shaky ground. 
mean, they appear to be unshakable. They don't know the covenant. When you know the blood covenant, you know that you know that you know your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You know what Jesus has done. You operate in faith. You operate based on the Word of God. You, when you take your Bible, it's not just a bunch of stuff you're trying to believe. It is a covenant you're acting upon. You handle it with authority. You know that authority is in you. You feel Zion inside of you. Now listen to this metaphor because it's unbelievable. It's amazing. It says, as they pass through the valley of Baca, or the valley of weeping. The valley of Baca was an extremely arid, dry place. It was, de it was like a desert, no water there. And it says, as they pass through that dry land of weeping, it's so dry, it's wicking the tears out of you. What does that refer to? What is the valley of weeping or the valley of Baca? It is a metaphor for life. Life in the world is the valley of weeping. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. This reference to the valley of Baca is people on their journey through life. But the Bible says that those that know the Lord and whose strength is in God, in their heart are the highways to Zion. They also go through life. We're all going through life together. Can you say amen? amen. Is that not right? We're all on this journey together. But they never get out of the valley. They are dry and weeping until they finally die in the valley. However, listen to the, listen to the scripture, as they pass through the valley of Baca, we are not dying in life, we're passing through life. Jesus put the disciples in the boat, said, let's get over to the other side. They didn't know a storm was going to come up and threaten to capsize them. And they were worried, saying, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to perish in this thing? Jesus said, you mean perish? I'm in the boat. Peace be still, he says to the wind. And as the winds died down and the waves became calm, they said, what manner of man is this? Uh, hello? He is the son of Abraham. He is the seed. He is do What's he doing when he's rebuking the wind? He's possessing the gate of his enemies. Hallelujah is right. The woman with the issue of blood. She is pressing through a crowd of people that are all grabbing Jesus. I don't know how he got anywhere. They must, have been, they must have been buying him new clothes every week. He's trying to get through a crowd. Everybody's grabbing, pulling on him. Master Jesus, Master Jesus. One woman down on her hands and knees is crawling through. The crowd grabs the hem of his garment. He stops. Who touched me? The disciples are totally wigged out. They're like, what? The blood covenant just jumped up inside of me. Hallelujah. Somebody just invoked the blood covenant. So, somebody just busted open one of the gates of the enemy. He's looking around. Who did it? The woman, fearing and trembling, said, It was me, sir. He said, Woman, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you whole. They were all grabbing him. But she 
had faith in the blood covenant. She saw who Jesus was. You see, we're passing through the valley of weeping. And as we do, we are, we are bringing temporary refreshing. The Bible says we are creating pools or springs as we pass through. You take godly people who know the blood covenant, you put them in a dry society and let them live for Jesus and mercy pools begin to show up. Hard hearts begin to become tenderized. That's why we're trying to get you to go out and talk to the unsaved. Go out and love them. Just, just share the love of Jesus. Let them know. Let them hear the highway of Zion. Talk about the highway to Zion that's in your heart. Um, the way to Zion, the highway to Zion, notice in this, in this prophetic word in Psalm 84, it's not in the valley. It's in the hearts of the people walking through the valley. Woo, glory to God. Did you catch that? The highway to Zion is not in the valley. It's in the hearts of people who have entered the blood covenant. So basically, I don't know how in the world you're going to visualize this mechanically, but people are walking through life that is harsh and wicking everything out of us and weeping as they go, and somehow like a spool in their heart, as they're walking, it's paving the steps under their feet with something called the highway to Zion. Zion is what? The place of God's authority. We are walking in the grace, walking in the authority, walking in the power. You say when God calls you to a strange or a scary place, he tells you to go do something, you're like, oh my God, look at that. I'm going to get stones thrown at, thrown at me. I'm going to, I can't do that. Yeah, but by the time your foot goes down there, the, a paver from the highway to Zion is going to be under your feet. The road is in your heart. You're going to pave it as you go. Don't look at your circumstances. Are you listening to me this morning? Stop looking to the world. Testing. Is the world favorable? Is my friend open to the gospel? You know, we like to go witness to people we think would make a good Christian. We like to go share the gospel with people we think are open. How the heck do you know who's open? Take it from, from me. I was a hater of Christians and an atheist. Three minutes before I became a Christian. Alone in my bedroom one night. How does that happen? People knew don't witness to him. Don't talk to him. Christians are like, don't waste your time. I was that close. You would never see it. You would never know it. The highway to Zion's in your heart. Are you listening to me? You pass through the valley of weeping by exercising the blood covenant and possessing the gate of your enemies traveling on the highway to Zion. Hallelujah. Glory to God. My heart's laying the steps out, but guess what? They don't go from my heart to under my feet until I'm actually taking the steps. It's called faith for a reason. <laughs> Ooh, glory to God. I'll tell you, the revelation in here is so thick, it's like, 
I don't know about you, but it's amazing. Coming down to the end of this, but I, I, I have to make mention of the conflict that has always surrounded Zion. Mount Zion has been in conflict. You would think if it's a place where God dwells, the Lord would have his big security angels around him and there'd be nothing but peace. But wherever Jesus went, you ever notice that the inner core around him were filled with hate and contempt. The devil tries to get as close to Mount Zion as he can. He wants it. Whatever happens between God and his people on Mount Zion, Satan wants that. He wants to be worshipped. He wants your attention. He wants to rule you. He wants that place. Mount Zion can make him God in his mind. And so that's why he's been fighting over the centuries, even after Jesus rose from the dead, fighting for that land in Israel, still fighting for it today. There's no way to explain the insanity in the minds of the people who are trying. And yet, when the tribulation comes and that last great battle takes place, you would think it might take place in America, maybe Kansas, China, Russia, Europe. There's so many options. But that insignificant little dry piece speck of real estate in Israel called Mount Zion. That's where the whole world is going to pour down into the Valley of Megiddo to fight one another for what they don't even understand. Satan will drive the nations like a mad chariot driver. Why is he doing it? Zion. God drove his stake and he said, Zion is my choice. And the devil's been trying to make God a liar ever since, and it's not going to work. And it's going to cost millions and millions of lives in the process. Consider yourself fortunate that you're saved. Consider yourself blessed that you know and are a member of the blood covenant family. Hallelujah. The purpose of the blood covenant, listen to me. This I don't have to say to you to convince you, but when you talk with your secular friends, if you really want the argument to ratchet up about five or seven degrees uh, or more, say, tell them this. The blood covenant, the gospel, whatever you want to insert in there, is not given to improve the world. It's not the purpose of the blood covenant to improve the world. It's not the purpose of the gospel to improve the world. It is the purpose of the gospel, it is the purpose of the blood covenant to introduce the kingdom of God into the souls of men and women. God's going to deal with the world at the second coming of Jesus Christ. But until that time, the world's going to stink as it has for 6,000 years and nothing's going to change it. And people can march and shout and, and argue and accuse God. In the last days, the great hate for God that as the mountains are falling upon them, they're cursing God. Where's that attitude coming from? It's coming from people who are, even as they're about to fall into hell, 
are angry and cursing and shaking their fists because God won't save their precious world. He's offering to save them, but that's not good enough. They want society saved. They want the world changed. God created the earth. Trust me, He can renovate it. He can remake it. The do-over do is not a problem. It's the souls of men that are the issues. Easier to take the world and the nations than it is to take one soul that does not want to say yes to God. Can you say amen? So the conflict around Mount Zion is the same conflict that Jesus, like a human lightning bolt, attracted. Why did they hate him? Why when the Messiah, the God so loved the world, he was love, he was agape, why did, they, did the leaders just instantly, they disliked him, instantly they rejected him, instantly the plots to kill him began to arise. He wasn't a criminal, he wasn't evil, I don't have to go through it, but you understand, it doesn't make sense until you understand Zion, until you understand the blood covenant. People clutching the world's power get angry when they think they've got to let it go to have the Messiah. When you think you've got to give it up like the rich young ruler, go sell all that you have and come and follow me. The Bible says Jesus loved him. He said, give it up, and come and follow me, let go. I've got so much more than you've ever even seen in your life. Come and follow me. He called him into the blood covenant. The Bible says the young man sadly turned and walked away. Why did the Pharisees turn on Jesus? Why did they have him executed? Why did they go to the Romans who they hated with a passion and get in bed with them and cut a deal to have Jesus put to death? I'll tell you why. Because when Jesus said, he came and said, I am Mount Zion, not this dumb city that you built or the, or the hill that it's on, I was reading the other day in the gospel when Jesus corrected the Pharisees, he said, he said, what is more powerful, the gold that you bring into the temple or the temple that sanctifies the gold? Obviously, it's the sanctification process, but they were holding on to the power they had. They were holding on to the influence. They had a hold on the world. They did not want a Messiah who wasn't going to come and make the Romans bow before them. They wanted a Messiah who was going to come and change the world. He came to change them. And they weren't interested in them being changed if the world couldn't be changed. They wanted their kingdom now. Are you listening to me? Praise the Lord. God bless you who are willing to take the kingdom of God in reality in your hearts without demanding that everything go your way in the world. Without accusing God because he doesn't make everything go right. God bless you for you as you're waiting in faith for the Lord to come. Can you say amen? amen. I'm going to close with this verse. In the Gospel of John, <clears throat> the Bible says... He was in the world. The world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. His own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, 
he gave them the right or the power to become the sons of God, the children of God. He put the highways to Zion in their hearts. People who are willing to say, the kingdom of God starts with me, starts in here. And so the altar call this morning, the response to this message is, God has put the highways of Zion in your heart. Zion is the place that God, he chose you. It's where God meets you. It's his throne upon the earth. That's what Zion represents. So his throne is in you. Each of you live in the same world that I do. Things don't always go well, do they? Things aren't, no matter how carefully and wisdom you plan, somebody, sometimes it's people close to you, just don't do what they're supposed to do. And it just doesn't go the way you expect it to go. The kingdom, Zion, is in your heart. So this morning, we want to pray concerning you and your life that you take the gate of the enemy. God has given you the keys of the kingdom to possess the gates of your enemy. I want you to stand with me. As we prepare to pray, Zion is in your heart. The place where all those things happened. Isaac was offered. Jesus was crucified. Jesus is going to return. Is in your heart. That's where Zion is. Hallelujah today. So, because of it, everything about your life belongs to God. It's so important that you and I put our identity and our responsibilities and our sphere of influence in the hands of the Lord and say, Lord, this is your territory. Come and be king. Come and be king over my life. Like me, you wear many hats. You're a parent, a child. You have certain responsibilities. You have a job. You have a ministry. You may have some calling, some particular gifting. Those are all spheres of influence. Your very reputation, the fact that people know your name, and the relationships. Did you know that you are a steward and owe to God the sphere of influence of your life? Now, you can't choose what people decide to think about you, but that is the territory of your life, and you have authority with God to bring Jesus into your life. And so I'd like us to concentrate this morning as we close on our homes. We want to get our house in order. And if the enemy has put any doors in your house, the Bible says that you should possess the gate of your enemies. If the enemy's put any gates in your house, you need to take those gates out of your house. Hallelujah. And... Uh, this morning, I want to pray with you. I want to agree with you today that we are going to possess our house and stand. I can't control what happens throughout Clearwater, but what happens in my heart and my life, I can keep the, the enemy off of my back. Hallelujah. And so can you. The Lord's anointed you to do it. Praise God.